Welcome to episode 244 of the Outback Mind podcast. Now, today, uh, another very special guest, very interesting guest by the name of Mr. Dan Hunt. Dan played two, sorry, 150 games for the uh, St. George Illawarra Dragons in the NRL. Um, very talented player, played with Darius Boyd and many other uh, high-profile athletes. Um, and Dan... Uh, more importantly, um, has made some significant changes in the mental health space over the last uh, few years. He started up an organisation called the Mental Health Movement. Since being diagnosed with bipolar uh, disorder type 2 in 2010, so Dan sort of really struggled um, uh, to come to terms with that at the time and, and face his own challenges and battles and so forth. But uh, basically, he turned his weaknesses into his strength and started to really explore, um, you know, what's possible uh, within himself, but also what's possible within others and be able to empower others to uh, break away from, um, I suppose, the stuck thoughts we get ourselves in and the, the negative emotions that we can quite often uh, find ourselves uh, stuck in. So um, so Dan, you know, gets around and um, he's got an amazing team of people that work with him under the Mental Health Movement banner to provide education uh, throughout New South Wales and, and other areas to uh, help people gain awareness and, and good mental health literacy, which I think is really important. Like we as you know, uh, I talk about uh, a lot about the poor, you know, reactive culture that we've got. We wait till something's going wrong and then we sort of seek support. So that's, you know, reactive. But if we're proactive and we're aware of how we're going and be able to do things on a daily basis, which keeps us uh, grounded and balanced, I think is really key. And that's what we're going to start to do, to do and focus in on, on more and more moving forward because, uh, you know, to stay stable and, and to do practices which keep us stable is, is fundamental, you know, with all the stimulation in the world. So um, sure you're going to enjoy this chat. Please send me uh, your feedback. would be great. Uh, to support outbackmind.org.au. Uh, also, if you'd like to check out our documentary, the trailer is on the website, Healing Men's Minds. Uh, if you'd like to maybe get us into your workplace or club to show that and do a, a session with your, your team, uh, we'd be more than happy to have a chat. So please reach out as well. G'day, Dan. G'day, mate. How are you? Very well. Really grateful for you joining me. And uh, yeah, really admire your work and what you're doing from afar. And um, yeah, mate, uh, I guess as we sort of discussed, everything happens to a, for a reason and sort of brings us into, into this space and what we're doing. But um, no, really grateful for the, uh, the time to have a chat with you. No, thanks, mate. And it's always yeah, good to connect with people uh, doing good things. And I think, as we said a little bit earlier, that uh, power of story and lived experience, it, it does cut through the, the bullshit, the stigma, the stereotype, and gets us to look at our own story. And, and then that obviously can connect with other people as well. Yeah, mate, that's it. Because, yeah, you know, I reckon I have this conversation with people uh, quite often, but we're pretty much trained to sit and think, you know, we're not sort of get, trained to get to know ourselves uh, as young people and we sort of get swept away into this unconsciousness and uh, before we know it, we're sort of sprung through through school and into adult life and we sort of haven't figured out uh, much about ourselves, you know. No, 100%. Well, you look at, and it's, yeah, well, and adding to what you're saying there, it's not usually until we go through yeah, whether it's life change, challenge or adversity where you kind of have to, whether you hit rock bottom or you go through something that um, I guess gets you to, to look at things a little bit differently, um, until then well, we're always going to we do what we do um, and until we sort of hit that uh, that period in our lives and, and sometimes then even still um, we some people don't make those changes or um, they've, they've got the barriers or the challenges that are stopping them from seeking that support or being vulnerable or whatever it may be. Yeah, that's right. And, and, you know, 
hormonal health isn't really meant to be, um, you know, uh, part of, uh, I suppose, who we are anymore. Uh, I think we've, we've basically fallen into accepting uh, these imbalances and, and poor mental well-being. But at the same time, you know, we've just got to realign ourselves and get back to finding out who we really are and that balance again. And, um, you know, I think we've, we've sort of head, headed down a really reactive path with regards to mental health. But if we can help people learn to be proactive and preventative, it can really help us shift gears. Yeah, I think so, and I, <clears throat> probably one of the, the fundamental uh, things that we teach or educate on as well is a lot of people don't realise if you've got a brain in your head, you've got a mental health, mm, where a lot yeah. of people associate mental health as mental illness, Yes, where mental health and mental illness, yes, they're correlated, they're connected, but they're not the same thing, where it's just like we've got a physical health, the, the things that you put in place, the things you experience, everything that you go through impacts your mental health, which is how you think, act, and feel on a daily basis. So yeah. if if we don't think that it affects us, well, are we taking that proactive approach to look after it and better manage it? Well, that's, everyone's different. But um, mental illness, as you know, it is a little bit different. Um, affects 20% of the Australian population. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely agreeing with what you're saying. Yeah, mate. Tell us a bit about uh, a young Dan, like uh, coming up as a young fella and uh, obviously uh, how that sort of uh, played out for you with regards to getting into sport. Yeah, I guess. Well, for me, yeah, I um, I didn't have much education or training or knowledge or experience or anything around this space um, until I sort of went through my challenges in 2010. But um, as a young person, like I, I grew, grew up uh, in a pretty tough environment, domestic violence. Uh, my old man was pretty tough um, on my brothers and sisters, my mum, and we were brought up to the old cliche, get on with it, get over it and harden up. Yeah. Uh, and obviously going through like that growing up and um, you're taught to, to deal with it like that, that's exactly what I did. I just swept it under the carpet, pushed it to the far reaches of my mind, and, and I definitely didn't talk about it, didn't put my hand up about it and um, just pretended like it wasn't there. Um, as a young person, I was pretty angry, pretty up and down, um, probably getting a little bit of trouble, um, lacking a real sense of identity, probably yeah, a bit of purpose, a bit of belonging, um, and probably looking for it in the wrong places where having that opportunity with sport, but it was in particular with rugby league, um, gave me somewhere to channel a lot of that anger. Um, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of how I was as a young person into something, um, and I was around more positive people, seeing more positive things, connected with teammates, um, and it, it served me pretty well. Um and then, yeah, like, it wasn't that I was the, the best player, but I definitely, um, something that my old man did teach me was how to work hard um, and, and push through and things are tough, uh, which in a rugby league sense, that, that's, a, that's a good little recipe to have because when it, when it gets tough, you, you, you keep going and you get, get better. Um, yeah. But uh, all that stuff from my past and my upbringing was still there, even though I was pretending like it wasn't. And, yeah, that probably affected me, yeah, a, a fair bit without actually knowing um, on the way I treated the people around me, on the way I treated myself. Um, but I just kept telling myself, you'll be right, just get on with it, get over it. Harden up, mate. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Oh, mate, uh, you're a little bit younger than me, but that that's that was ingrained as well. But you think about it, I talk about this quite a bit too, how much intergenerational stuff's come into our game and, um, you know, how we've got the ability now to really arrest that cycle and break it. And, um, yeah, look, you know, that that grit and determination is certainly, um, you know, part of uh, the masculine culture, but we can't be stuck in it all the time. And, you know, if you are stuck there all the time, there's going to be times where you're going to hit a low point and you're going to sort of, you know, find yourself um, 
a little bit uncertain about how you feel, but as we must sort of mature as guys, we do sort of chemically change as well. And um, I guess to have uh, awareness and education around that is really uh, important to be able to maintain good mental health. Would you agree? Yeah, and I think um, like what, what you're saying as well, like it's kind of part of being uh, a human being is going through struggle. Part of having mental health is going through mental health struggles. But part of being resilient is also um, it, it is going through struggles, but part of resilience is perseverance. But mm. I think when you look at the get on with it, get over it and harden up mentality, you've got to put it into context. When 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 you're, you're going through change or different things where, where you do need to sort of sometimes push down on the mouth guard and, and push through and have that grit and determination, definitely part of it. But if we start to go through that mental health struggle and we're, we're really battling and it's the, the head noise, the overthinking, we're in that dark place or we're having suicidal thoughts or whatever it may be, that's not the time to get on with it, get over and harden up. That's where yeah. we need to realise as men to try and rebrand it that it is okay to struggle, but it's also okay to seek that support if and when we need it. Mm. Um, and just trying to understand um, kind of how you do anything how you do everything. And if you've always got on with it, got over and harden up, asking for support or having a conversation or being vulnerable, it's foreign because you've, you've never done it before. Yeah. So if we can, as you said, provide some awareness, some education, some links to support when you can need it and shift people's perceptions, um, tough people still seek support. Tough yeah. people still need support. Yes. And, and that's okay. Yeah, mate. Yeah, that's right. Do you, do you think women obviously are a little bit more emotionally conscious than men are? Yeah, I, um, help-seeking behaviours is more prevalent um, in, in females and um, you can have a look at, obviously, when you look at the, the suicide statistics, unfortunately, in Australia, nine Australians take their own life every single day and uh, seven of those are men. Mm. And there's obviously some other factors at play as well, but um, the help-seeking behaviours is, is, is definitely an element to, to that. Um, and I think even in all the work that we do, like we mainly work in male-dominated industries where um, when, when you're able to connect with, with, with well, males in particular, you connect with them and through that power of story and you, you, you provide them some education and awareness, you, you kind of watch the penny drop in their eyes that it's like, shit, this is real, this does affect me and, and I am going through a bit of a struggle, but hearing someone else that's been through a struggle and sought support and that that's okay and come out the other side and it, it, it is achievable and, and that's where the magic happens when yeah. you can start to shift people's perception and get them to realise that it, being a human being is not easy. Yeah. Um, being, being, a, being a man, being a woman, being whatever you, it is, is not easy. Um, and the DIY, as I call it, the do-it-yourself or the bunnings it, <laughs> it, it, it works some of the time, but sometimes it doesn't work and we need a little bit of support. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Awesome, mate. I really appreciate that and, and just to normalise that support and uh, to look outside if you do need it. But um, I was just going to ask you a little bit about the rugby journey too. Um, obviously, getting into the game and becoming a professional athlete, I suppose, at the time, in those mid-2000s where it was you know, starting to become uh, a little bit more uh, mainstream to, to actually do it as a full-time role. How did you go into it? Like, did you actually like? Were you really excited at the start and that type of thing? And um, do you think you made the most of the opportunities early on? Yeah, look, obviously, being a, a young bloke and you play rugby league, like my goal, yeah, was to to play in the NRL. I think that's a lot of young kids' goals. And yeah, I, I come through the uh, an adapter, I played the Show Harbour Sharks, and then come through sort of the Steelers system with Harold Mays and SG Ball and Jersey Flag. And, and played in some really good squads with some, some good team members, like our Jersey flag side, I think had 11 players, went on to play NRL. So mm. um, I was lucky with that. Um, but 
yeah, during that time, yeah, pumped and, and everything like that. Still, yeah, still filled with that self-doubt and whether you could do it or not or whether you're good enough and all those different things. Um, and that was probably in conjunction with the, the stuff that from my upbringing and the, the stuff that I was battling with. But mm. I look at footy, it was kind of, it kept me on the straight and narrow or put me on the straight and narrow in a way. Um, and it gave you the structure, the routine, the purpose, the identity, um, all those things that as a human being we need. Yeah. Um, and, and that served me really well. Um, but I guess cut to the, the first grade environment, like, yeah, for me, I didn't understand the ups and downs that I was I was going through, but like I, it used to be my nickname was Bubsy when I was playing. And it used to be not a running joke, but a bit of a saying like, "Where was Bubsy on the roller coaster? Was he at the top? Or was he at the bottom? Mm. If he's at the top, you can go, you can talk to him. He's good. Or if he's at the bottom, fuck, be clear of him. Like, yeah. and that's look, that's just how it was. And and I used to ride the the highs really really good when you're playing well, you're winning, uh, and I'd ride them really hard and high. But then on the lows. I had no understanding. I was managing a mental illness, but I'd ride them really hard as well. And I didn't I didn't understand it. I didn't get it. And I guess how that look for my teammates, for my missus, like, well, some days it'd be really good and I'd train well, play well. I'd be the joker, the life of the party, mm. uh, fun to be around. But then other days I could have the other conversation with someone. I'd be withdrawn, disconnected, playing poorly, training poorly, treating my missus poorly, like mm. cutting myself off. And it was just, yeah, it was a roller coaster. Yeah. And, um, yeah, like, we didn't have the awareness and the education. Like, we didn't have all of that back then. Um, so it was, yeah, it was kind of flying blind a little bit. But what I was doing now, like, I've had time to reflect and stuff like Like, I was wearing the mask. Yeah. I was trying to put on the brave face and convince everyone else around me and myself that I was all good. But mm. it was just something that just wasn't quite right. But... At that point in time, I just I didn't know. Yeah, it's pretty common when you think about it. Like God, your your description there, I, I can I can I can like you know name a, a hell of a lot of guys that I grew up with that, that experienced that must themselves. I was I'm quite fortunate. I didn't really that much, but I do know what it's like to go up and down a little bit, but nothing significant. But. Yeah, there's lots, lots of guys, you know, one of my best friends from when I was a young fella, he's no longer with us and, and that was his experience. He's either up, up like a, a rocket or, you know, down low and um, certainly that, that obviously is just an imbalance in the brain, I guess, which is not, you know, communicating like it should and, um, uh, yeah, we, we only see the outside of it or we don't actually understand the, the complexities of it and, um, you know, made good on you for being able to sort of, you know, I suppose, address it. I think, did you you get seek some help in, in 2010? Is that how it sort of played out for you? Yeah, I think that, that the, the pivotal, uh, now that I look back, but the pivotal time that I, I did hit rock bottom. So, like, as I said, footy was that thing that kept me on the straight and narrow. And um, up until then, I hadn't had any injuries, any surgery, um, nothing like that. It, um, I was... Yeah, we, well, I was playing the best footy of my career. Wayne Bennett was a coach. We had a grouse team. Mm. 2009, we won the minor premiership. Um, Coming into 2010, I'd, I'd started every, well, most games that year. Um, we were the favourites to win the premiership. I think from memory, we'd won nine or ten straight. Um, and then, yeah, come into a game at Wynn Stadium against Canberra, and in the warm-up, um, I snapped my Achilles tendon. Mm. Uh, and, yeah, obviously it's not a pleasant injury. It's You're out for 12 months. It's surgery. You've got to learn to pretty much walk again. Um, but for me, it was hard enough being what well, wasn't a 21 at the time and, like, sitting back watching your team go on to obviously make a grand final but then win it. Um, it's Yeah, it's, it's 
challenging and you're not feeling at that time you don't feel part of it and mm. that you're not contributing and all that stuff where now i know that i was a part of it and um it, I've, I've been able to process that but what happened to me i understand now but i didn't realize at the time it was it was all that stuff that i'd swept under the carpet for a long period of time um the all those things that growing up and stuff like that, the thing i was no longer on that straight and narrow and it come back and hit me like a ton of bricks and with surgery, I got introduced to painkillers, and that was to take away physical pain, yeah. uh, and to take it, yeah, to take away emotional pain. And um, obviously, yeah, then it was illicit drugs. It was alcohol. It was isolation. It was, um, yeah, that loneliness pushing the closest people to me away. And mm. I was trying to, to to numb the pain I was in and trying to cope uh, through self medication, which uh, is a very slippery slope. Um, and it put me in probably the worst heads I've ever been into the to the point where I didn't want to. I didn't want to be here anymore and yeah. um it wasn't until i guess i had people around me my my missus uh mum um my coach obviously one time and a few close mates and teammates um that got me to realize it was okay to struggle but it, it was okay to seek that support but that was probably a pivotal few conversations with my miss my mum um that were pretty confronting um I had to be honest and open and vulnerable that got there to, the, the Black Dog Institute, they actually come into training. They were a partner with the NRL at the time and um, the person come in and did like a, an awareness session around mental illness and what they do and stuff like that. And I remember sitting in that session, I was at the front of the, the room with the, the squad and a, like that facilitator was talking directly to me. And um, from that, the, the, a resource that we got given and that was like an assessment on it. So you go home and do that. And I went home and did that and it come back with some red flags mm. where you need to see clinical professional support and that kind of scared out of me um again i had no understanding or awareness around this and i sort of sat on that for a few weeks uh, but it wasn't until i spoke to my coach and spoke to my missus um and we we sort of uh, it was that point where i was i was in a dark place um and and i needed that support but i didn't know where to go or what to do where this sort of presented itself and that's when we decided to uh, book in with the Black Dog They're in Granwick in Sydney. Um, I went up there and spent some time with a clinical psychologist and a psychiatrist, and they went through things from my family history, um, my upbringing, self-medication, violence, my personality. They went through a whole heap of things, and at the end of that day, I was diagnosed with a formal mental illness in type 2 bipolar disorder. Mm. Uh, and for me, honestly, other than meeting my, my missus um, and having my kids at that's the best thing that's ever happened to me because mm. uh, and people say to me how's that the best thing that's ever happened to you but when you suffer in silence nearly your whole life no understanding no treatment no support no knowledge uh and you're riding that roller coaster to the point when you're you're almost down up a year and then all of a sudden you get some context some understanding you start to get the support you start to learn what works and what doesn't work what are triggers you start to process trauma you start to uh understand how you tick a lot better um it's that's a good thing because if it's not missing the grand final or other challenges we all go through it's always going to be something because that's life yes. and the better you can that and understand there is supportive and when you need it but understand what your little ingredients to your are and what your method to your recipe is and that changes over time um but you're able to better not stop or prevent change adversity that's not the goal the goal is better manage it and that's something that um, I'm very, now that I look back, very grateful to have been through that period of my life because, well, one, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today. 
in mid-golf movement, but I wouldn't be the better myself. I wouldn't be a better partner. I wouldn't be a better husband. I wouldn't be a better mate. Um, footy was just stepping stone, really. But yeah, that's yeah. Amazing, mate. Um, you, you're dead right. I think life's got a plan for us, and um, yeah, we just got to get out of the road of that sometimes. But I reckon, um, I reckon, there's, it's fair to say that there was probably others uh, in your family which may have had, you know. Uh, evidence of bipolar as well that uh, was just not diagnosed because of those behaviours that played out? Yeah, um, from going through all that, I learned my father was diagnosed, uh, well, yeah, I don't know whether it was formally or unformally with manic depression back, uh, but that's obviously now known as bipolar disorder. Yeah. Um, I've got family members that, yeah, live with um, clinical depression, with um, schizophrenia, so there's definitely a family of mental illness that I was unaware of. Um, and, and that's probably something now that I've got my own kids, like I'm hypervigilant to where um, it obviously puts them at high risk, but if I'm able to create a, a, a loving, supportive environment, keep them resilient, educated, and all these different things, like will it prevent it? Well, I don't know. It'll give them the best chance to be able to better manage themselves rather than going through, I guess, the way I went through it. Yeah, well said, mate. No, that's true. Absolutely. And we talked about breaking those cycles and being able to do that, um, you know, uh, with open eyes and that too, and, and the flowing effect that that actually has, because if we can sort of uh, see where our blockages are and, and be able to address them, uh, you know, other people don't have to experience that. And we can sort of pay attention to it and, and hopefully work with it rather than against it. And I think in modern society, a lot of people, uh, you know, work against uh, a problem. They don't sort of, uh, you know, acknowledge it or accept it, and they're sort of in this denial consistently, and that can really um, have an impact not just on themselves but also a lot of other people around them. Yeah, I, I like the words that you use there, like acknowledge. Um, I think in society I hear the word a lot when people come to me like, oh, I've got someone, they're going through a struggle, they just need to admit they've got a problem, where I don't think admit is the right word. Like, mm. going through struggle and things like that, you have, like, you haven't done anything wrong. It's not like you've got to admit it, but you do need to acknowledge where you're at, what's happened, what's going on, how you're feeling, where you're at, what, how do you contribute to that, what's the things and you contribute to that, and accept and acknowledge that. That's one of the, the first steps, sort of, in, in being able to move forward. Mm, that's right. Absolutely. Well, you're dead. Isn't that isn't that right? Classical because admit you you're admitting guilt, but if you acknowledge, you're actually accepting, and accepting is a high vibrational emotion than what admitting or or you know guilt or shame or whatever actually is. Yeah, and with acceptance and acknowledgement comes comes vulnerability, but comes power, yeah. comes freedom. That's right. Yep. You you carry that like I carried it for 21, 22 years of my life where I was trying to convince myself and everyone else that I was okay when that was eating me up, where when I sort of got that diagnosis and, and, and made the decision to support, it didn't fix or solve anything immediately, but it was like a weight of the world was lifted off my shoulders. Yeah, that's right. Oh, mate, well said. How was that accepted amongst your teammates and, and say, Wayne Bennett and, and those sorts of guys? Were they sort of forthcoming and, and really helpful with regards to that process? Yeah, yeah, they, they, they were, and our team was really good at the time, um, and it was kind of, a few of them sort of said, like, we knew something was going on, like, it just wasn't wasn't quite right, and it's good that you've been able to do that, and 
and, and I'd be able to have conversations, but I'd, they'd also be able to hold me accountable to things or I could have conversations with them and stuff like that because you spend so much time together. Mm. Um, they're kind of like your second family in a way and um, it, it, it definitely helped um, with my footy because I was able to understand things a little bit more. Um, mm. And, yeah, yeah, they were, they were really supportive. And I think Wayne as well, where he's really good and, and he was great with me, like, in, in relation, the relationship with my, my missus, who's my wife now, um, and uh, at the time, like my eldest, she's my stepdaughter, but I regard her as my daughter. But um, taking on a, a child that wasn't mine at, at a 21 years old at a young age and mm. stuff like that was difficult. And, and, and Wayne was able to help me with that um, in trying to get your ducks in a row off the field um, and being a, not just a better player, but being a better man, um, and being a, well, as a young man. Um, and he was able to help with that, um, which I'm, I'm internally grateful for. And I think he's, some of his big things is you, you just can't lie to yourself. You can't lie to the people around you because we can be the world's greatest justifiers. But if you keep accepting your own bullshit, like, are you going to be able to forward? And the other part is how do you get the support you need if it's a secret? And it's been honest. So just some really big life lessons that he, he not just taught me, he's taught thousands of young men. Um, but... Even for me, like, I look back, what am I, 37 now, like, I've probably only felt like a man maybe the last five years. Mm. Like, you, you, you kind of look like a man. You're, you're playing a tough sport with men, but I, yeah, really, I don't know. But for me, that's just how I feel as well. And mm. I think you, you, there's a lot of growing up that, yeah, that, that happens, I guess, over a short period of time. But, yeah. Mate, it's amazing you say that. And I, I was pretty much the same. Like, you, you're confused up until your mid-30s, possibly. Um, you know, you're still trying to figure it out, figure yourself out, um, all that sort of stuff. As we sort of discussed, there's no handbook with regards to, to you know, how it plays out uh, as, a, as, a, as a man, as a husband, as a father, all those sorts of things. And, uh, yeah, I think, I think we chemically change in our mid-30s and that continues to progress as we get older and things start to, to balance out a little bit. But um, we have to go through a hell of a lot in the first 25 years while our brain's still developing, you know trying to, you know, figure out your identity and, and your place in the world. But one thing that we actually miss is that peace within ourselves, like that sense of peace within ourselves, which is very rare uh, because we're basically educated as, as performers, you know. We're educated to sit and think rather than, you know, move and play like kids are meant to be. Uh, <laughs> and then we, then we go into, you know, high school and we're sort of, you know, what are you going to be, what are you going to do? And then you're sort of judged on that and... Uh, you know, by the time we sort of get to our mid-30s, it's not till like that sort of starts to settle down. You get a bit of an idea of, uh, of, of yourself and who you are. And this is where it's a high risk for guys, you know, with, with suicide because we get to that point where we just don't know and we lose hope and that's when we, we, we think it's better off, you know, exiting rather than hanging around here. But this is why the work you're doing is important because it actually gives us that education and awareness which most of us, you know, have never had. Yeah, bang on and... It's um, it's just yeah, it's challenging as a, as a young person trying to figure it all out, isn't it? Like, it's, there's, no, there's no guidance there. Like, who am I? What what am I doing? And uh, it's interesting. You, you sort of went from the we think feel a lot, like we're, we're an emotional being, but mm. there's also kids they they go and do and, and they have fun and, and all those. There's no masks or anything like that. It's, um, it's like they're pure, 
I'll go back to um, Dr. Phil Jauncey. He was a clinical psychologist that Wayne um, used to use. And um, I, I remember he used to always talk about, because it was obviously in relation to performance and our personality and things like that. Um, but he spoke about, he goes like, oh, I've got three or four degrees in psychology. He goes, but I can't control the way I think. I can't control the way I feel, mm. but I can control my actions. So if I want to think or feel differently, I need to do something different. Yes. And, how often do you get stuck in your own head and the head noise is going and it's the overthinking, it's the going down rabbit holes, it's the paranoia, it's the join and dots, it's the catastrophizing, all those things when at the end of the day they're just thoughts, they're feelings. And there's a little mantra I tell myself every day, don't don't look at everything to think. Be, be a dog. Try and again get forward. Mate, uh, you were just breaking up there a bit. What was that again? Could you say that again? Um, which part? The the Yes. Yep. Yeah. The just don't, don't believe everything you think. Yeah. The, we 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 have yeah sixty to eighty thousand thoughts a day, and eighty percent of them are reoccurring, and eighty percent of them be negative. But if we can, yeah, sort of not, not try and get outside of our head and start taking action, putting some things in place that it's not going to fix and solve things, but it's going to give us a better chance. Yeah. Well said, mate. Do you do any practices with regards to settling your mind down on a daily basis, like meditation or anything? Yeah, so I've, um, definitely mindfulness has been something that I've used, um, yeah, since my diagnosis and stuff like that, um, which is putting yourself in the present moment and, and not focusing on, on, on what you're doing, trying not to worry about the past or worrying about the future and things like that. But some that I've probably been doing the last couple of years is, is breath work um, and, and sort of the ice baths and cold water immersion. Uh, but the the breath work has been something I've definitely delved delved into, which um, it just releases a lot of the the, the traumas, the, a lot of the stresses, because the body keeps the score. It might feel you're going okay mentally, but the, the body holds on to a lot of stuff. So mm. that uh, formalised breath work is is definitely something I use the, the training that I've, I've been doing, um, and and then yeah, with with that ice bath as well. The uh, acute stresses on the body they can sometimes relieve the chronic ones on the mind. Yes, well said, mate. I- I, I agree with you because um, when when we're when we're in tension in the mind, there's tension in the body. To be able to release that um, is critically important, and this is as this is something which has been powerful for me personally. But also, I've I've trained a lot of people with regards to using their body to settle the mind. So, you know, deep long stretches which can help the fascia release in the body, which helps tension in the mind release, and all yep. of a sudden your breath gets into a nice flow state rather than you know sort of shallow and. Um, once we can do that, we get the full breathing happening, then everything sort of seems to, you know, settle down between the ears. But um, but it's not something that we're we're taught. You know, we're put into tension really early. If we can do something on a daily basis to help relieve that tension, it's amazing how quickly we can get back into fluidity again and back into a rhythm. Yeah, and then I think that's like with with that stuff. It, it's probably starting to come a lot more mainstream. Um, and I, I think the the expectation on it, it's not going to fix and solve everything might be going on, but it's going to help you think and feel and, and start doing it a little bit better, which that might be added to the other recipe that you got, which is staying connected with family and friends, doing things to relax, making sure that you're exercising, uh, making sure you're getting yourself out of your comfort zone. You, 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 you're tapping in with your supports when you need it. And, and you start to build out this framework, this scaffolding that can that can help the structure. And, and that's where, yeah, they're two pieces of the puzzle that I definitely use, but um, it's, Again, you've got to try and figure out what those little ingredients to your recipe are. Yeah, agree. I think, mate, at the end of the day, 
the key foundations of humanology are to have structure and to have you know daily practices and routines that you can stick to because they are your foundation you know to be able to be connected to that and, and do things which get you into a state of feeling balance within yourself and calmness within yourself and uh, I've been fortunate like I, I come from a very like yang background like you like you know like sport and and just go 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 type stuff but the hardest thing for me was to be still so I had to learn how to how to do that and you know, to be able to get connected with that and let go of all the, you know, the the, the noise, um, I believe is, is really critical um, to, to me personally uh, to be able to find that balance. But, you know, if we're not, we're not doing things to feel connected, if we're getting up in the morning and we're put in fear by the news or the paper or whatever, that's not a great start to the day. I just think if we can do more to empower ourselves rather than be disempowered, um, that can set ourselves up to be a bit more in tune. Would you agree? Yeah, definitely. And you look at the world that we're in now, like a big tributary of the way we access information, the way we connect with people through obviously like social media, internet, how much that's changed over the last 10 years. Mm. Um, and it's you, you go watch, go order a coffee and you, you stand in line and instead of looking around and people watching like we used to, it's like you just look down and everyone's just scrolling. Yeah. Like, the, the human brain is not supposed to consume that much in, in, uh, information and the social media constant comparison and the, I should be doing this, should be doing that, I should be feeling this, thinking this, and if that's not aligned with where we're at, we start to put ourselves down and it just adds fuel to the fire, doesn't it? Oh, 100%, mate, you know. Uh, it certainly does. And, you know, if you're in your thinking mind consistently, the, the amygdala in the brain is, is basically going to be, um, you know, at a point where it runs out of gas, um, but, you know, yeah. uh, inevitably sort of thing. And that's what we don't understand. And, and most young people primarily are in their thinking mind all the time. You know, they sort of don't know how to settle that. And, and I was no different. The only way I'd get to relax would be to go on holidays for two or three weeks. And it wasn't until the second week that I'd start to relax. But then you're back into, into work again. Yeah. That <laughs> takes you a week to calm down and relax. You yeah. get a week and the next week you kind of, you, you start worrying about shit, I've got to get back to work, I've got to do this, got to do that. And, yeah, you start <laughs> That's <laughs> all over again. If you can find that common ground, that balance within yourself every day, uh, I think it can. You can be more in that parasympathetic mode uh, more yeah. often rather than be, you know, switched on. And and that's a skill we've got to start to really um, help others, um, you know, develop within themselves and, and just find that. And I just think that's that's key to gaining and maintaining mental health because. Um, if we're on too much, you know, we're, we're eventually going to get a kick in the ass, And, um, you know, that's why I think we've got a lot of problems. Life's got a lot faster. Uh, you know, people are wanting to consume a lot more and a lot quicker and those sorts of things. But, um, yeah, it'll, it'll eventually show up in disease, whether that be physical or mental. So, you know, unless we're preventative and proactive with it, I don't think um, we're going to have a lot of success um, with good mental health or physical health outcomes unless we start to take charge ourselves. And, and you touched on that before, like, you know, being able to, you know, figure out and be curious where your imbalances are and, and correct them and line them up. Yeah, and I think um, a lot of that comes, like, you can go on a self-discovery journey and you figure it out for yourself. But if, as we were saying before, if you're stuck and you block, there's blockages and you, you sort of not know where to go and it's not getting better and 
stuff like that. Like that's the indicator that it's time to maybe have a look at making some changes or, or seeking a bit of support. Because uh, look, you can go and seek support and not be diagnosed with anything, but seeking support, whether you're doing talk therapy or uh, cognitive behavioural therapy, you start understanding how you think and feel, but how you interact with yourself, the world around you, the relationships, and you start to. Uh, well, it's not like you get guidance or you're told to do this, told to do that, and it all figures out. It's a journey that you've got to figure out for yourself. But um, sometimes we need a little bit of support to help us on that journey. Mm. That's that's probably, yeah, the, the key where uh, it's kind of like a piece of string. You, you pull on that and it just it just keeps coming and you keep learning and you keep evolving and you keep adapting. And, um, I yeah, I just recommend if someone is going through a tough time where they've got that sort of that barrier and they want to make those changes to, to, to seek that support because... It can be one of the best things that you ever do and you can get exposed and start to learn all these things like around breath work or ice baths or mindfulness or what exercise does for you or being connected or, yeah, seeking that professional help is is a good thing. Yeah, mate. And also, um, you know, getting back to the prevention work and, you know, the responsibility, not so much responsibility, but the duty of a workplace and a club. Know, particularly a workplace, they, they, they only offer one currency, you know, it's, it's a financial currency and um, they might have a conversation once a year on Are You OK Day, but if they're able to help an individual be better inside and outside the workplace by doing prevention work and getting some programs in there consistently, I think that's, that's just as good a currency as the financial stuff because we've got this illusion that, that money will bring us, you know, uh, supreme happiness and, and that sort of thing. But unless you're connected with yourself, you're always going to be searching. Would you agree? Yeah, I think the, the, if you look, the workplaces, yeah, they play a, a pivotal and a vital role for yeah for many different reasons. Um, and if you're looking at proactive and early intervention, like these, this education and training and support should be yeah, like provided at preschool, primary school, high school, which it, it's starting to change now. Uh, but for people that are in the workplace, a lot of us never got taught this stuff growing up. We never got taught this stuff at school um, and stuff like that. So if if you're not going to learn it in the workplace, where else are you going to learn it? And right. uh, and so, yeah, the, the work that we have been doing um, through our um, Mental Health Workplace Blueprint with awareness, education, training, resources, links to support, um, we've been able to help, yeah, so many, so many people. And I think in the workplace now, though, it has changed with work health and safety legislation. Um where psychosocial hazards um, are now identified in the workplace, not just physical hazards, and companies have a responsibility to identify, manage, and support these psychosocial hazards, not just the physical ones. So uh, that's only happened uh, in the last like one or two years, which that's definitely going to keep evolving. So it's not just the Band-Aid, um, like what you were saying, like your, your one-off AOK days or you've got your employee assistance program they're actually getting to the root causes around the design in work and being able to better manage and support those things. Um, and, and that's what we're seeing, and it's a good thing. It's a good thing because we spend a third of our lives at work, roughly, maybe more with overtime. Um, and what we are talking about before we started this is you give so much to, to your work, but if you feel identity, you feel valued, you feel like you belong, you feel like you're supported and cared about, you get more productive. You're going to be, you're going to have less time off work but you're going to be a better version of yourself at home for your relationships, for your kids, for yourself, for your community. And the, the byproduct of that is, 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 a, is, a, is a good thing. Mm. Oh, 100%, mate. Yeah, look, I've been on the, on the journey in the bandwagon for this for about 20 years and I was, I was having these conversations before, you know, and getting shut down early on. <laughs> 
But, you know, the workplace has got a great opportunity to be able to help people be better people inside and outside the workplace and help communities and really start to, to have an impact, which is, you know, much more than the financial outcomes. And, you know, I sort of try and educate uh, employers around the importance of them having to, you know, de-escalate people by the time they leave because if they don't do that, then they're, they're getting in the car in this wound-up state, they're going into the home in the wound-up state, that's where domestic violence starts, that's where, you know, poor mental health outcomes, you know, are born from. So workplaces are actually contributing a lot to, um, you know, poor mental health outcomes to the community, particularly, you know, the hardcore industries like mining and, um, you know, anything around, um, you know, that manufacturing when you're in a denatured environment. And, um, I just think there's a lot more work to be done in that space, you know, to be able to, to help people sort of manage their days better and manage themselves outside the workplace better. And if we can start to get that right, I'd rather work for a company that's doing that well rather than one up the road that's going to pay me a few more bucks but not give a shit about me. Yeah, no, I definitely, definitely see that. And, and, and it does, it helps with that, that retention because people want to be in a place where they're valued and that they're cared about and they're supported. Um, and yeah, look, those industries are tough, mining, construction, waste management, manufacturing, transport and stuff like that, where um, it, it is about obviously the, the core business that they do, but you can also do it do it well with, with elements like we were just talking about, with, with different programs, different supports in the design of work. And there's some great mining companies and organisations that are doing some good things um, and the, some of the cultures that we've, we've seen and we've worked with and they've been able to shift and stuff like that. Um, is, is, is a good thing and the byproduct of that is you've got workers supporting each other, you've got open conversations having, you've got managers and lead supervisors that are able to identify and have these conversations and know their role and responsibility and supporting and they're able to link workers into support uh, in a more of a proactive sense rather than a reactive one yeah. uh, and, and that's a good thing and, and the other part of it is like we're, we're saving people's lives because we're able to identify if someone is in crisis and be able provide the, the appropriate supports rather than them suffering in silence. Yeah, well said. And and it's the pre-AAP stuff that I'm interested in. Like most people have just got that safety net there or most organisations have got the safety net. And if someone's cooked, they go to that. And then like one, one organisation I deal with here, people are shit scared to go because they're worried they'll be found out. But... You know, if yeah. we if we can certainly flip that around and have a bookend approach, you know, do the prevention and we we, we try to, um, you know, not so much avoid the EAP, but if someone goes there, then we can really wrap our arms around them. But if we can do more prevention so people have got the tools and awareness to manage themselves a bit better, then the episodes uh, of presentations will probably decrease uh, as well. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, and that proactive early intervention approaches well research tells us that it does lead to better outcomes um, yeah. and and it's not it's not linear where a lot of pressure is put on the person going through the struggle um or that's in that dark place where you, you know yourself when you're in that dark place sometimes just getting up getting out of bed and and actually getting to work is is is, is hard enough yeah. so yes it is about trying to uh, overcome these barriers for people that are going through the struggle so they feel like they can talk about it and, and have ramifications and that they are supported but it's also the the the, the other side of the, the i guess the coin is having people that are the, the support network whether that's leaders supervisors managers parents friends where they can create these environments where if someone does reach out they're, they're it is confidential that they are going to get the support, that they're not going to be judged, they're not going to be treated, treated differently, they're not going to lose their job, all these different things. So if you can get those two sides of the coin right, you start to create these better environments, these better cultures, 
where it is okay to struggle, it is okay to seek support, it is supported, and um, and it's 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 a good place for everyone. Yeah, one of the key things, uh, you know, is is making someone feel appreciated and safe. I, I remember um, I I was you know in the workforce when KPIs come in, and uh, work was great up until then because we were just appreciated, and we were acknowledged, and we felt part of something. When KPIs come in, they actually separated us. And it really separated us because we were like held accountable for things, and and for me personally, I really struggled with that. You know, um, it was good in a way because it give you some direction or, or you know barriers, but I, I just think it was um, it was really detrimental to the, the fabric of the way we operate as humans. And um, um, you know, we've got to maybe get back back to this like nurturing team culture and. Um, I think if you can do that, if you can really appreciate and acknowledge people in the workplace, mate, they'll 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 go the extra distance for you. They'll feel feel like they're valued and supported. And I just think we've actually lost connection because a lot of people just don't feel that anymore, and they actually lose a lot of um, self worth through that. And uh, they 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 sort of you know don't feel like they're um, they're acknowledged or appreciated, and that can be a you know a uh, you know, a bad outcome for mental health um, outcomes within ourselves, but also other people, you know, uh, con- they, uh, have consequences of that with our families and the way we operate in society. And I just think if we can turn that around to the way it used to be, I think, um, you know, we can have some significant um, changes made moving forward. I think, yeah, looking at the team and, and, and the culture is definitely a big part of that. Like, we do sessions uh, where we'll spend the whole shift underground with with um, with different crews in the coal mining industry, and uh, being able to do the work that we've been doing over the, the, the last seven years with with different companies. But um, like we'll be underground in the crib room and, and doing a, an awareness or an education session, and there'll be ten or 12, 12 blokes there um, or workers there. There's females underground as well, and we'll have open, meaningful, vulnerable conversations under there and. Uh, many, many times, like obviously, coal mining is one of the tough, toughest industries in the world. But um, have workers share? They said, "Look, if it wasn't for my crew, I, I probably wouldn't be here." Mm. So, understanding how important it is to have the support and the the, the value from your fellow worker um, is a is a very important thing, and and we definitely see the benefits um, of that. Yeah, mate. Well said. Good workplace culture can make a huge difference. Mate, um, tell me, how can people get hold if they want to reach out and have a look at your work and maybe get into to have a chat to them or do some do some stuff with their with their teams? Yeah, no, I appreciate that, mate. Yeah, well, just uh, www.mentalhealthmovement.com.au. Um, you could reach out to our email at info at mentalhealthmovement.com.au and, and we're um, pretty uh, present on uh, social medias on LinkedIn, Facebook and Instagram, which is just Mental Health Movement. Yeah. Um, but yeah, of, uh, we're, we're open and, and ready. We travel anywhere in Australia. We work with, with uh, yeah any organisation that's uh, looking to take a proactive approach in creating mentally healthy, supportive, and safe workplaces. Yeah, and I think that's what we've all got to do, mate. We can't keep ignoring it because we'll, we get left behind. The ones that are not doing it need to be doing it because um, all of a sudden we're going to have a groundswell of this sort of thing, and it'll just be like health and safety rules moving forward. I believe you know we've got to. We've got a real job to do and a duty of care to our communities and our, our people to provide these uh, these safe workplaces, emotional and, and, and psychological workplaces, you know, because so much damage can be done in the workplace from a, from a psychological point of view. So if we can start to get that right, mate, I think, um, you know, even better. So to invest with what you're doing and, you know, get some prevention and proactive approaches uh, happening in the workplace is, is really key, mate. So I really appreciate that. No, my pleasure, Thanks for uh, the opportunity to have the chat. I 
always enjoy and love a, an open, vulnerable conversation where people just get it. And I, I really do hope uh, the people that listen that, yeah, take something away from it or uh, just get you looking and thinking about things a little bit differently. Yeah, mate, well said. And um, hopefully we'll get to uh, to catch up. Who's a, who's a tip for the uh, NRL flag next year? Oh, mate, I think uh, it could be another Brisbane uh, Penrith Grand Final. <laughs> uh, I think uh, it was what a game of football that was. Mm. Unbelievable. Yeah, the um, AFL was the same the day before. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's a it's a good place to be. But yeah, like three premierships in a row. Wow. <laughs> uh, but now, nah, well, hopefully the Dragons can uh, can uh, get back on uh, on top. The mighty Red V. I'm hoping, but yeah, maybe not next year. There we go. Cheers, mate. <laughs> <laughs>